Are you longing for real life change and lasting impact? At more to be we believe that this is possible through a fresh encounter with God and His Word. I'm Lisa Pulliam, the founder of more to be host of the more to be podcast, and I'm here to help you think biblically and live transformed, to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in His work every day. On this episode, I'm excited to have special guest Trisha Goyer here with us. She is a lifelong author, an incredible mom, a great leader. She's somebody that uh, has set an example for me in terms of investing into the world of motherhood and the world of healing. And so, Trisha, I'm just really glad that you're here with us today. Would you say hello and let us know a little bit about your life? Yeah. Thank you, Lisa, so much for having me. Um, John and I have been married 28 years and we have 10 kids and I could share more about that (laughs) as we go along. But, um, you know, I was born to a single mom and uh, I didn't know my biological dad until I was 28 years old. And she married my stepdad when I was four years old. Um, And then I had a little brother soon after, but my stepdad was really kind of the silent figure and the lazy boy really not involved in my life or um really connect with me and so really at a young age I started looking for love in all the wrong places looking for boys wanting that love wanting that attention and then faced two uh teen pregnancies when I was in high school so uh, the first one at 15 and sadly chose abortion I just wanted I didn't want to think about it I didn't want to be pregnant I just thought that would be the answer um and went to Planned Parenthood and they said, yes, you'll be fine. You'll never have to think about it again, which of course is not true. Um, and then I have found a lot of healing and uh, forgiveness for that. And um, just try to offer hope to other women who face the kind of same pain. And then at 17, same boyfriend got pregnant again and had my son who is now 29. Um, and it was during my pregnancy that my mom and my grandma's Bible study group started reaching out to me. Um, my mom and my grandma became Christians when I was in second grade and their neighbor, my grandma's neighbor, um, reached out to them and invited them to church. And so really they were very young Christians during my growing up years. Um, when I was in high school, their Bible study group came and they gave me a baby shower. They came to visit me. And at first I was not impressed by these old women (laughs) coming to Mm -hmm. see me. You know, I had dropped out of school. I was home, staying in bed all day, watching soap operas, and yet they were there. They would show up to pray with me and to see me, and um, after a while, I thought, you know what? If these women love me, maybe God does too, and that's, I remember wrapping my arms around my stomach and just saying, God, I've messed up big time. If you could do anything for my life, please do, and just found this life and light and hope come in, Um, and then started praying for a future husband. And he brought me John. Um, We started dating when Corey was just a baby. He was the pastor's son. I started going back to church and he's the pastor's son. And we got married when Corey was nine months old. And so God truly answered that prayer. Um, And then John and I had two more kids. Uh, So Corey's 29, Leslie's now 26, and she's a missionary in the Czech Republic. And then Nathan is 24. And uh, he's a college student and he's my, we call him my Manny. So he helps me all the time when I travel. <laughs> he's here and helps with the kids and helps take him to appointments when I'm out of town and all those things. So he's awesome big brother. And then we have adopted seven kids um, from the ages. They're now ages uh, 18 down to eight. Wow. Mostly from foster care, one private adoption and the rest from 
foster care, which I'd never been one of the people that grew up like thinking, I'm going to adopt kids someday. But God, you know, just reading his word and just seeing the needs, he just put it on our hearts so strongly. And so here we are, house full of kids. And also my grandma lives with me. She's 89. So full house all around. (laughs) So what led to the, what was it like to get to that first adoption? Yeah. So I first read an article in like Women's World magazine or something like that about um, baby girls in China, that there's all these baby girls that were abandoned. And so I'd mentioned it to John and he's like, he wasn't interested. We had three little kids at the time and um, I had helped start a crisis pregnancy center and I was writing and homeschooling. So our lives were full and he's like, I don't think it's a good idea. I brought it up, I think one other time after that and just really just prayed like, if this is something that you want from us, God, um, and then years later, uh, when our kids were teenagers, he, my husband brought it up and said, are you still interested in adopting? Mm. And we, um, I said, yes. And we, I thought of that, you know, that article I read and we went through the process of adopting from China. And right when all our paperwork was in, China basically stopped adopting out healthy baby girls. They went from, you know, 10,000 adoptions a year to, you know, 20. I mean, they, they really mm. stopped doing that. And so after all this time and money and paperwork, I mean, it's a lot of paperwork to adopt internationally and money. Um, we realized like we, it wouldn't be soon if ever to adopt a baby girl from China. And I remember being heartbroken um, and like going to my room after, after the adoption agency contacted us. And it's like, if it might be five years, it might be never, you know, if anything changes, you can have hope, but um, you know, of course they can't refund the money. I mean, they've done all the work too. Yeah. And just thinking, God, you know, you, you say to care for the orphans and the widows and, and here we are trying to help. And I don't understand why this is happening, but you know, finally after just, you know, just being heartbroken, um, I ended up finally saying, God, whatever you want, if you want us to have a child, if you don't have us want us to have a child, if there's something else we're supposed to do, Um, But if we are supposed to have a child, like, you know, the one we're supposed to have and just like, I relinquish it to you. I turn it over to you. I'm not going to cry about this. Like your will's perfect. Like, but it took like, you know, a couple hours of me like going through the whole thing. Um, And it was that very day I was taking my grandma to Walmart and we were in the car and I got a call from a friend that I knew from our local mops group. And she knew a young woman that was pregnant and was looking for a family to adopt her baby and she knew we were trying to adopt and that it wasn't um china was everything was not working and she said um so i told her about your family and she's been like looking watching you on facebook for a couple months (laughs) she wants she wants to know if you want to if you would be interested in meeting her and so it was like the same day when i just finally said god whoever whatever child you have for us um we got that call and so a couple well the next week we met the birth mom and she was already seven months pregnant when we met her. So we went from, you know, uh, five years, if ever, uh, you know, to adopt a baby to in two months, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> so, That's amazing. Yeah. So we adopted, she was newborn. We brought her home when she was six days old, um, healthy, healthy baby girl. And then I thought, okay, we got our, you know, we adopted, we have my grandma in the home. Um, and that after that, we moved from Montana to Arkansas. And it was during that time we heard a lot about children that were in the foster care system, that their mm-hmm. parents' rights were already relinquished. They were just looking for forever families. And um, our little girl was two at the time and extremely spoiled. <laughs> so we felt yeah. like some siblings might be a good idea. And we adopted from foster care. 
um, which was so different than anything I experienced. We, um, we found out about them on a Monday. We met them on a Wednesday and we brought them home Thursday. Um, and they were, they'd been moved around. They were two and a half, a little boy, two and a half, and a little girl, five. They'd been moved around in the system so much. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a failed adoption right before us and were very traumatized. And so they came with a lot of anger, um, a lot of fits and um, lashing out and full tantrums, you know, hitting, screaming, throwing, I mean, nothing like we'd ever experienced with our biological kids. And um, we got into trauma therapy within a month and that really helped. And through the process, you know, I always thought, I'm a great mom. I don't really have an anger problem. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. my kids are turning out good. And then God's like, okay, what about this? (laughs) And so it was so hard. Um, Just, I mean, none of the regular parenting tactics worked. Uh, You couldn't just put them in timeout and they changed their attitude. You know, these were such harder, deeper, bigger problems than anything I'd ever faced before. Um, And so that year was really hard, but we went to therapy and got a lot of help, learned a lot of different tools, learned about trauma, learned about anger. And then we kind of hit our new norm. So we're like, okay, we, we've done what we wanted, what God has asked us to. Um, we have three little kids now. They were, you know, ages three, three, and six at the time. And I thought, okay, we're good. And then um, just over the course of the next year, God just continued to open us our hearts again to kids in foster care. And I lead a teen mom support group. Mm. And so on Thursday nights in inner city, little rock, I meet with these teen moms and so many of the girls in there have aged out of foster care. You know, when they age out of foster care, 18, they're on their own. They have no place to go. They don't have family support. Um, Mm. They don't have resources. And so many of them would move in with a boy and end up pregnant. And then he would move on to some other girl and they, you know, just find themselves alone. I remember just being, you know, feeling abandoned, um, as mm-hmm. 17 pregnant teenager and just know it's so hard, but at least I had family support. At least I had my parents and my grandma and my mom that reached out to me, but so many times these girls don't have anyone. And I remember coming home and just telling my husband, like someone needs to get them before they end up aging out and to love on them and tell them that they're valuable and tell them that, you know, they don't have to turn to boys for the love that God can give and all these things. And right. I felt mm-hmm. God saying, mm-hmm yeah, what about you? (laughs) What about you? And so um, we approached the adoption specialist again and got connected with a sibling group of four older girls. So um, they were 11 through 15 at the time we adopted them. And now they are between the ages of 14 and 18. So God took, you know, that little magazine article and (laughs) here we go. Seven kids later um, in our home. It's obedience. It's your obedience to God's promptings made clear by what he provided. Right. And so I remember when you had shared the prayer request and in one of the groups that we're in together for the, the group of girls. And I can't believe that it's been four years. Is that right? Um, It's been three years since adoption, almost three years since adoption has been final. Wow. That is just Amazing. And so out of all of this experience, while you've been writing books and leading ministry and raising children and homeschooling them, you have become very well acquainted with anger Mm -hmm. and you have written a book called Calming Angry Kids. 
Yes. And, right? I mean, it's, it's not the book I want to write. <laughs> that's not the book any mama wants to write. Maybe the only book worse than that would be Calming Angry Mommy, right? Yeah. You know, nobody <laughs> wants to admit that they struggle with anger, which I have. Um, my listeners have heard me say again and again, my struggle has been with anger. and God has healed that and transformed that. But so when I picked up this book to look at it, I was looking at it from two perspectives. I mean, maybe three. One, I knew, I knew that because of your story of adoption, I knew intuitively that there would be anger issues mm-hmm. in that because of the trauma piece. But I was also looking at it from two perspectives. For me, as a child who was abused, I'm still seeing the byproduct of that 45 years later, mm-hmm. you know, 40 years later. And seeing how it's shaped my identity and my, and my hangup. So I was looking at this from a, an adult perspective of what can I learn about myself that Mm -hmm. I I didn't learn when I needed to learn it. Um, And then I was also looking at it too, because my, um, I I have four children, which you probably know because we've chatted before, but so Leah is 19, Abby is going to be 17. And then Luke and Caitlin are uh, 13. And Abby, I would have said years ago, she's my angry child. Mm-hmm. We, we called her strong and fierce. She pitched her first fit at nine months of age. She was barely standing long enough to be able to throw herself down on the floor and flail her hands on the floor. And, and her scr- scream and cry from practically the time that she had born, she'd go from you know calm to like anger instantly. Mm-hmm. And so... It was very shocking. I remember Leah was standing there at two and a half and three. It's like, mommy, what is she doing? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I know what she's doing because I've done that. Mm. That's me. Mm. And that was me before this child ever became, became acquainted with that side of me. Right. And so for many years, I struggled with how do I help her when I haven't figured it all out myself? And how do I help her when I, when, like you were saying, the parenting techniques that are supposed to help for me would just make me angrier. Right. So there was this whole dynamic of, is this her personality? Is this something that I've done to her? Because her anger would inflame my anger. Mm -hmm. And then my anger would inflame her anger. And I want, I want to dive into the book and talk about that and talk about the biblical perspective, but I want to paint a picture and get your perspective on it. So uh, Abby, at the age of like 16, she asked, can I go for counseling? And we said, yes, we had been offering it to her for a long time because as a um, 16-year-old, by the time she was in eighth grade, eighth grade, she lost a friend to suicide. Mm. We moved it was traumatic, our move from the boarding school to where we are in Pennsylvania now, where, I mean, it was from the day we told her to the day the decision was three weeks and three months later we moved and she never saw it coming. Wow. Uh, she had a dear friend severely betray her uh, about four months after we moved. And so, and in, in all of this, she also had three concussions in 18 months. Mm. And so she was having, and you talk about all the things that can lead to anger. So she had physical, she had emotional, she had definitely a version of trauma. 
Um, and then she had an angry mom until she was eight, uh, who, who that, th my part to play in it. So she has to go for counseling and we sent her and said, please, like you have a lot that you need to work out. Uh, and it was less than a year of counseling, maybe even six months. And the, the counselor in the Lord was able to reveal to her the sources of her pain points and, and finding truth and healing in that. But in the middle of it, she said to me, before she got to the healing side of it, she goes, I'm the one that was always in trouble. I'm the one that was always being yelled at by you. And, and there was a situation in which Caitlin came down the stairs and she like kind of mouthed off to me. So Caitlin was, is the youngest and mildly mouthed off to me and then stomped up the stairs. And I said, Caitlin, come back down here. And she, in that tone of voice, and she came back down the stairs and I said, Katie, and that's all I had to say. And Caitlin went, I'm sorry. And I said, what's going on? And we talked about it and she went back up the stairs. Hmm. And Abby said to me, mom, you would have been screaming and yelling at me if that was me at that age. I said, you would have stomped up the stairs, slammed the doors, hollered at me in three different <laughs> levels of screaming, and I would have lost it on that last point and screamed right back at you. Mm -hmm. And for her, that was the moment, because of the healing that she had gone through already and because of what we had been talking about over and over again, she stood there and she said, oh, yeah, that's the difference her behavior and my behavior in this right. toxicity. And, and since that time, there's been such peace in our relationship because I no longer was the bad guy mm -hmm. in it. And so those are like my two kind of, that's like my, my angry mom from beginning to end sort of story. But what do you do? Like, tell me about what's in this book. Tell our listeners about what's in this book and why you wrote it and what your life has been like yeah. with angry kids. And you know, I never thought I had an anger problem. You know, I mean, sure there'd be times with my biological kids that I'd shout at them about something, but you know, it's infrequent and it's not something that was common. And you know, so it wasn't until I had kids in my home that were angry, yes. that knew that the things that they could say that would hurt me that would all you know would withhold love or withhold even acknowledging me for day I mean all these things and I'm like I saw this anger boiling up you know I always pray you know search me oh God and know my heart test me and know my thoughts you know see yeah. if there's any wicked way in me and lead me to the way of everlasting and that's in Psalm 139 um, and I always like want him to search my heart and then all of a sudden it's like I don't like what's in my heart because yeah. all this anger all this hard stuff is coming out and um, you know, I found myself yelling back at my kids and trying to get them to comply, which is impossible when someone is in a moment of extreme anger, there's no, there's no compliance there. And so um, it just, I had to go to the therapist and really in humility, I remember going the first time with our five-year-old and the, the therapist was like a 24-year-old intern named Brittany and just walking in there. And I'd been a mom for, I think my oldest was 23 at this time. Oh, and no. Like, tell me what to do. Like, I thought I was a good mom that like knew the right things to do. And suddenly I'm angry and the, I don't know how to control these kids. And so really it was humility of 
listening and understanding what trauma does or it, what person, I mean, different, different personalities do. You know, it doesn't yeah. even have to be a kid who's faced trauma um, and just learning how to deal with them, how to handle them, how to continue to draw close when I feel like, okay, I don't even <laughs> care right now. Um, and plus, you know, it's hard when, it's hard enough when you're adopting and when you're adopting older kids, it's not like you have a cuddly baby that you get to build this bonding with. Mm -mm. It's suddenly this defiant child in your home. And it's like, I don't even know you that well. And I don't really like you right now, but I'm supposed yeah. to be your mom. So, you know, all these things would pour out and, you know, slowly. Um, and we had all the kids, um, well, not the one we adopted as a newborn, but all the other kids. So six other kids went to trauma therapy and they all had different therapists. Um, two had the same, but all the rest of them, and I'd learned something from every therapist to help me mm. deal with that kid in the moment and what we were dealing with. And I just felt like I was a student of learning my kids better and learning how to handle their emotions and my emotions. And when you, you know, brought that up, one thing that um, I learned that I talk about in the book is not to escalate with your child um, mm -hmm. because so if you, they are angry and they're you know, shouting. And even if they they know all the things, they know all the things that will get us mad. Um, you know, you don't love me. And I'm like, you are in my office now. It's not your bedroom. And I've like sacrificed my life for you and all this stuff, you know, I mean, all the things, they just know how to push my buttons. And, you know, she said, when you escalate, when you get angry, all of a sudden it isn't about what they did wrong. It's about you now. And you're mm -hmm. angry and they're a victim and they've turned things around. So when you get angry, they win. Mm -hmm. um, it's no longer, they feel justified in their anger because of the way you're acting. And then that was a real wake up call. It's like, okay, she just won because she got me riled up and suddenly I'm the one going back. I'm the one that's apologizing. I'm the one, you know, because I'm an adult and yeah. I should apologize, which is important to do that. But all of a sudden it's not about her issue. It's about mine and it's just things like that. Um, also, another thing that we really worked on was bonding with the kids. Um, you know, especially my two and a half year old guy, he was angry and just would break stuff and so, so challenging. Um, and she said, okay, the, the different therapist said, I just want you to spend five minutes a day with him. Um, I want you to sit down with him, have a special box of toys. He's totally in control of the play. Mm. And you um, acknowledge what he's doing. You know, you are lining up the cars. You repeat his words. So he says, blue car, you say blue car. And then you praise him. Like, thank you for sharing the car with mommy. Or you are such a good, you know, mm -hmm. you do such a good job lining up. And what I realized after we'd been doing it a while is I needed to bond in a peaceful moment. And the kids needed me to bond with them in a peaceful moment. Cause all of a sudden you know, they move into my home and I'm like, do this, don't do this. You, know, you can't treat me that way. And there's not any time where it's just peaceful. They feel loved and appreciated, seen and heard and that there's bonding. So there's the various things from how to control my anger to how to bond with my kids. It was all these years in therapy just helped us to, um, come to a place where we can have some sense of peace and I say some sense of peace because because of what my kids face it's never going to be perfect and there's no. always going to be triggers and um we I was just in the therapist yesterday <laughs> with one of my children you know this is a continuing thing we graduate from therapy and we have to go back to therapy yeah and she says you know you have to even get to the point where it's good enough because they you can't change the fact that they've been raised in trauma you can't change yeah. the fact what you know what was happening during pregnancy or after they were born I mean all these things you can't change that so you have to learn 
how to help them, how to calm them, how to draw close to them, and realize it's never going to be perfect. You're not going to have, you know, the same type of relationship that you had with your biological kids that didn't have trauma. And, yeah. and good enough is okay. And so, you know, I just heard that yesterday from my therapist. And if I had to write the book, that would be in there somewhere. But, good enough, know, yeah. yeah. Well, I find it interesting, though, because even though your children have been through trauma, your, your non-biological children have, mine haven't necessarily yeah. been through yeah. anything similar to the trauma that you, yours have been through, but the parenting wisdom that you just gave applies. Mm -hmm. Find those healthy ways to, to have the bond over quality. And, and I would say quality and consistency, probably mm -hmm. not quantity. It's not that it has to be a lot, but it has, you have to have these healthy touch points, mm -hmm. you know, and then the, so so for me, uh, you also said not escalate. And one of the ways that I've been able to learn how to not escal escalate it is I have a, one of my best friends is a therapist, which really helps to have <laughs> a therapist because she walked me through the roughest part with Abby, or, you know, when she was like, Abby was about 15 into 16. And, and she said, what is driving your thoughts about being a good mom? Mm. So one of the examples that I had told my friend, like, you know, I, I holler up the stairs, meaning like it's morning and I'm like, mm -hmm. breakfast is ready. Kind of really kind right. hollering upstairs. Right. Breakfast is ready so that they can sit down and get their food while it's hot. And if I'm met with a tone and I haven't yet had my cup of coffee, my Jesus or time to do anything to get food in me, like I, my propensity to anger I'm already at my heightened level personality wise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so she said to me, why does being a good mom mean you holler up the stairs to tell them breakfast is ready? And I said, I don't know. I just imagine that's what good moms do. <laughs> Sweet dears, breakfast is on the table, you know? Yeah. And, and, and she said, no, like you made breakfast you finished your good mom like duty for the day at <laughs> breakfast. And I was like, Oh, and she goes, so put breakfast on the table and avoid the conflict encounter mm -hmm. does not mean you're a bad mom. Right. And I'm like, Oh, and so I, that was such a pivotal parenting move for me of, and she said, what are you actually trying to get out of the situation when you holler upstairs saying breakfast is ready. And actually this was the hardest thing to digest between me and the Lord was I was looking for love and mm -hmm. approval and affirmation and, and bonding positive bonding to counteract all the difficult moments. Right. But that wasn't an appropriate way for me to find any of that. Mm -hmm. And so I started to, I started to let that go. I started realizing I didn't have to say as much as I was thinking. I didn't have to demand as much as I wanted. And I needed to stop seeing myself from the position of being the not good enough mom. Hmm. And in doing so, I didn't realize and last night was the eye opener that how much has changed, which out me even noticing it. Um, Abby always has nicknames for uh, my husband, her dad. And so she goes, Poppy. And he goes, 
what did what did he say to her? Abine, or like they have like this mm -hmm. joke yeah. that goes back and forth. And I said, I hope you guys always do that. And Abby said, there was a time that drove you nuts. Mm. I was like, really? And, and then Steven's like, yeah. And I was like, well, I guess I didn't, that was the time I didn't feel like I was a good enough mom. Mm -hmm. And it, your, your interactions made me feel less than. Oh, wow. Which I couldn't have articulated that six right. or seven or eight months ago. Right. But now I recognize that. And so do you struggle with that not good enough mom complex with all these angry children? Yeah. And I think when I first adopted them, um, because they just act in ways that are so ir irrational at times, you know, there'd be times we'd be at Chick-fil-A and the little guy would be crawling under the table other, under other people's tables, eating their drop French fries on the floor, you know, and I just mm -hmm. like, we go and like, Oh, we just adopted him. You know, I just feel like I had to explain myself <sighs> because I don't want them to say like, lady, control your child, <laughs> you know? And, and then after I did that for about a week, I felt God saying, you don't have to explain yourself. It doesn't matter what these people think. If they know that if they think you're a bad mom, they think you're a bad mom, you know? So I think it was a lot of the outward appearance and how I look as a mom and, you know, the kids always were polite and they behaved and they acted appropriately. And, um, you know, I, I am at the place I always had to have the clean house. And, and I think part of it with me too was because I was a teen mom. I almost felt like I'd approve myself. Like I'd approve, oh. I could be a good mom and I have a house clean and we have dinner on the table and all these things and realizing personally that those like you just like you're saying like those things aren't what makes me a good mom um mm -hmm. and i remember like god's spirit speaking to me one day when i'm just because my thing just the dirty house and all these people like it's just i'll walk out the living room will be clean and 20 minutes later it's just covered in stuff and shoes and socks and uh clothes i mean toys i mean just everything and i remember yeah. Just, just like fuming and I, there's piles of laundry all the time and i had a pretty neat home you know my previous life, I always like to say that it's not that way anymore. And I felt God's spirit just saying, I love you just as much when you have piles of laundry, mm -hmm. when there's stuff all over the floor, when there's mud on the floor, you know, all these things. I love you just as much. And it's not like you have to prove you can be a good mom by any of those things, but just know that I love you. And, yeah. um, and, and like, and people understand, like they know we have a lot of kids and they know our lives. And, um, you know, my, one of my daughters like, why do we always have to clean when people come over? And I thought, well, we want to respect them. And, you know, they don't want to step on stuff, but part of it is I want to look good <laughs> yeah. and have a clean yeah. house and, and all these things. So there is that feeling. And so really it has kind of stripped away my, uh, I like comfort. I like praise. I like all these things. And when you can't control your kids, it's not comfortable and no one's praising you. <laughs> so it yeah. really is like, what do you truly believe about yourself and how I see you? And, um, and then really even going down to my kids, you know, they didn't treat me well. And I remember times like, I'm a writer and speaker in my mind. I didn't say this out loud, but like people yeah. really care about what I have to say. And these kids don't and just realizing, <laughs> you know, they are not going to give me what I need um, mm -hmm. but and I remember even one time sitting down and I talk about this in the book too sitting down and writing down one kid especially just have a really hard time with and every time she'd walk in the room I just feel my shoulders tense up 
and just so oh here we go it's going to be conflict and just pouring it out to god like she always does this and she does that and she treats me this way and i i i don't like how this makes me feel and just poured it out and you know just like okay god like what do i do with this and he just took me back to picture her as a little five-year-old you know when she's first entering foster care and this is how she felt. She felt unseen and unheard. And she, people said this to her. And and it just really softened my heart to her. Not that it keeps the walls keep coming up. I, I keep having to go back and soften my heart again. Ask God to soften my heart. But just, he just helped me to see, you know, it's out of what she experienced that she is afraid to draw close to anyone. She's afraid to have that connection. And so, you know, here I am, the one trying to mother her and love her. And so, of course, she's going to throw up the walls. Yeah. And it's a challenge. Like it's a challenge even this week has been a challenge. So it's not something that has changed overnight, but it just makes me realize like who I am in God, who my kids are in God, like that mm-hmm. is what we have to focus on and ask him continually like to soften my heart towards mm-hmm. these kids, even when things aren't easy. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, the, your number one parenting principle right now is the heart and, mm-hmm. and God. Like yeah. you can't control their behavior at times as much as we feel like we're supposed to as parents and, and that we we're it's up to us to make sure right. they turn out right. Um, but you're really saying it's up to me to make sure I'm right before God, mm-hmm. because yeah. out of that right heart, we can, we can speak and do the things that he has us to do as moms. We can become more objective, I think. Mm-hmm rather than subjective. So I know one of the scripture passages, well, let me point this out. In Calming Angry Kids, you do have a collection of, of scriptures to memorize as a family. Um, and you have, I, I love that you've categorized them by self-control, being slow to anger, forgiveness and mercy towards one another, which is mm-hmm. huge, um, patience and kindness, controlling the tongue, depending upon God's strength, and then God in us. Um, I think what I love is that that comes before the recommended resources. Yeah. (laughs) So there, I don't know if you did that intentionally or not, but that God's word is your resource. Yes. Um, And, and he does have things to say about anger. And so we were going to look at Ephesians chapter four. And what I'm going to do is just read a portion of these scriptures here in chapter four, and then maybe we can talk about it. Sound good? Of course. Yeah. Okay. So uh, for many of us, this is going to be a familiar passage. Um, and I, I, I have some thoughts on how to actually apply it. I'll be curious to see if we're on the same page. Um, so stop telling lies. Oh, I'm in chapter four, picking up at verse 25. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we all are parts of the same body. And so context there, it's, it's us as the community of God, like giving, Paul's giving instructions to the Ephesians of how to live together with other people. Uh, And so I think it's really helpful in verse 26, it says, and don't sin by letting anger control you and don't let the sun go down while you are still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. 
Remember, he has identified you as, as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Verse 31 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Mm. Yeah. There's so much in there. (laughs) There There's so much in there that applies to parenting and life. I mean, this was instructions to the church as a whole and each one making ourselves a part of that by faith in Jesus Christ. So, so this is how we're living. So how does this translate in your motherhood and marriage even and in life? What does this look like for you? Well, one of the things you, you one of the verses talks about in your anger, do not sin mm-hmm. and, and realize And I remember I just, I must've been like, I don't know, 12 years old when I realized like Jesus got angry when he flipped over the tables um, at the temple when they were buying and selling. And I thought like, that's the sin. Like Jesus shouldn't be angry. He sinned, but realizing like there's times we need to be angry. Like there's justifiable things that we need to be angry about. But there are also times when we're angry and we don't need to act out and we don't need to sin. And so one of the things I talk about in the book is acknowledging anger. Because when our kids are angry and we're saying, stop doing that, change your attitude don't talk like that we're not acknowledging that there's something that they're angry about (laughs) and one of the things that one of the tools I learned is just to say you are angry like acknowledging because otherwise they'll keep acting they want you to know they're angry so they'll just keep going and going and going so just saying you are angry and I'll say what's going on like what are you angry about and that just like stops the raging and the fits because then they have to like pause and tell you and they mm-hmm. want to tell you they want you to like acknowledge that they're angry and so yeah. I could say yeah and sometimes it's like oh your sister did that yeah I would be angry about that too if someone did that to me and I will yeah. go talk to your sister but right now you know you have a choice you know you, you can act you could still be angry because you know you are justified but how you act now is going to make all the difference. And mm-hmm. so just letting them, just acknowledging their anger is huge in my, you know, my kids. And even yesterday, my little guy who's eight, he had a really angry morning. And I kept saying, you're angry. What's going on? And he's like, I don't want to go to therapy. And he would say all these things and we'd talk it through, but he just kept being angry. And finally, it took a couple hours. And he goes, I'm angry because you left me last night. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I came downstairs and I came in the living room and then you left. And I'm like, honey, that was like 6.30 in the morning. And I told you I have to go take a shower. And But in his mind, he needed me. I think he had a bad dream. And after we, you know, I you know, gave him a hug and stuff. I still had, a, had an appointment, a doctor's appointment in the morning with one of my a therapist appointment with one of my kids. Um, so I you know, gave him a hug and like, I got to go take a shower. In my mind, I wasn't there for him. And he thought it was night. And he thought it was the middle of the night. I'm like, he goes, it was dark outside and you left me. And I'm like, it was morning. Yeah, I explained to him. It was still dark <laughs> in the morning. But once we were able to acknowledge like what he was angry about, you know, and talked about like, even when you're angry, it might, it might take them, especially kid, little kids, like a while to even figure out what they're angry about. But just acknowledging like you're angry and let's talk it through is huge and then teach them like we don't need to act out like how mm-hmm. we 
you know, we need to, um, there's certain ways, like even when we're angry, we can learn to calm ourselves. We can learn to communicate. We can learn to talk to the person that offended us and explain to them in a calm way what they did and all those things. Um, so, you know, these things in scripture, they apply to little eight-year-old kids, you know? Yeah. It was interesting when I first learned this, I misread it for years and years and years and years and years. So it says, and don't sin by letting anger control you and don't let the sun go down while you are angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Somehow I added to the scriptures, the don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Talk it out all night long Mm -hmm. until you solve the problem. Right. And, And it, that nearly killed our marriage. Because if we were having a conflict, Stephen and I, I wanted to keep talking until it was solved because I've had this like biblical pressure that the devil was going to get a foothold on our marriage if we didn't resolve it before Hmm. sundown, even though it was already midnight. So technically we had a whole 24 (laughs) hours, right? Um, and, And that also I saw manifest in my parenting. It was interesting because I kept hearing a tape play in my head from a counselor when we were at the boarding school. So at one point at the boarding school, I was running a dorm of 20 teenage girls from mm-hmm. all around the world. And, and the counselor said to me, don't take the lid off the can at 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night. Like their curfew, their lights out would maybe need to be 11 o'clock, right? Or midnight. She's like, nothing good happens in conversation after X number. She goes, you wanna keep the lid on it, and talk about it the next day. But again, I had this like nagging in the back of my head. We need to solve it. We need to solve it. Um, and, and so it was so freeing years later, parenting my own teenagers. I was like, I think I now understand what she's saying. Mm-hmm. There is a time in of night, a time of day, a situation in which we can say, you're angry. I'm angry but we love each other that trumps our anger always. And so we're going to go our separate ways. We're going to take time to decompress and figure out what exactly really irked us. And then we'll come back together. And part of that has looked different with each one of my children, because, you know, I have one child who is a very fast verbal processor and could come down in 20 minutes and tell me what was going on with her. I have another child, it takes two and a half to three days. Mm-hmm. And their processing time requires me adjusting my processing time. Right. So I might want to solve my anger, but I, I have had to learn that it's not dependent upon the other person in that relationship with me whether it be mothering or my husband or a friend, like I have the choice with the Lord of what I'm going to do with that anger so that that bitter root does not defile me mm. and that the devil doesn't get a foothold on me and my behavior. I love that. And so many times we want to control it. We want it solved in the moment, even when there's a blow up or whatever, get down here. I want you to, you know, I want you to apologize now. Or I want you to do this now. And just giving them time and space to calm down is such a huge thing. 
Yeah. So important. And it, and really, I'm the one that's like, we need to fix this now. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be nighttime, but we just need to fix this now. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I want you to apologize. Um, but when I learned to let them go calm themselves down, I'll say, mm -hmm. you know, go calm yourself down. You know, even when we're at homeschool. So even we have to pause our homeschool. I'll give you 10 minutes, 15 minutes, go calm down. They have that space and they're able to calm themselves down with me saying, we need to change now. Like you need to change your attitude now. You need to change your anger now. And maybe like you're saying, it might take a couple of days for the real thing to come out or mm -hmm. them to process it. Um, it's so important. It's not something we can control. Yeah. So we, we have an agreement of we're not allowed to walk out of the room angry, meaning like you can't just like boom and, and head right. off the way we we have a verbal agreement of like i'm too angry to have this conversation hmm. and i need space and then the other person usually me saying okay give me an estimated time on space like when when is the earliest you think we can reconvene to talk this out and with my one child she might say i've got too much homework tonight I'm not going to be home tomorrow night because I've got X, Y, and Z. Can we please sit down on Saturday morning and talk at that point? I promise I will return to talk to you. And as long as I hear those words, I promise to return to talk to you. I have learned how to let that go. Mm -hmm. And the amount of peace in our family is ridiculously awesome at this point. So this is just, this is good practical stuff. So glad that you were here with us today. I know everybody can find you at, uh, is it trishagoyer.com? Yes, trishagoyer.com. And they could find your book, Calming Angry Kids there, and the resources that you have for that, plus so many more. So I'm going to close this up in prayer, and then we'll um, head into our families and all the chaos that uh, rests on the other side of the door right now. Exactly. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time that you've given Trisha and I today, the work that you are doing in our lives and that you want to continue to do in our lives as moms and as your daughters, as women who are seeking to glorify you in the various roles that we play, but particularly as moms. I give you our kids, our, our peaceful, contented kids and our angry kids. And I thank you, God, that they are dearly loved by you, that they are chosen holy and your beloved children and your work is not yet done in their life as, as well as not yet done in ours so god we pray that you renew our lives with hope as we trust more in you and the work that you are still going to do give us the courage to seek help and the confidence to trust in your hope in jesus precious name amen amen Thank you for listening to the More to Be podcast. We are praying you've experienced a fresh encounter with God and His Word during your time with us today. If you'd like to show your support for the ministry of More to Be and our podcast, we'd love for you to become a More to Be tribe member. You'll get access to a library of life application studies, worksheets, audio recordings, and video teachings with exclusive resources added each month. To learn more, visit moretobe.com slash podcast for a special link. May you continue to think biblically and live transformed to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in his work every day.